0: So Nehemiah 3.15, and we're going to look at this today. I'm going to try to make this as, as painless as possible tonight. You know, I, like this morning, I know it was a little warm and people were a little tired and, you know, I should have known when to shut up. But uh, Nehemiah 3.15 says, But the gate of the fountain repaired Shalun, the son of Kolhose, the ruler of part of Mizpah. He built it and covered it and set up the doors thereof, the locks thereof and the bars thereof and the wall of the pool of Siloah by the king's garden, and unto the stairs that go down from the city of David. Let's pray. Lord, I just asked that you would just give me insight into this tonight, Lord, that you'd be able to help me to communicate this. Uh, Lord, with the power of your Holy Spirit, that we'd be able to understand and just take something home tonight that will help us be a better Christian. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're working our way around Jerusalem. Uh, you can see the the gates there. We started at the top of that arrow is, the sheep gate, and we're working around that side. We've now just made our way around the bottom of Jerusalem, and we're on the first gate on this side of Jerusalem, and that is the the, uh, fountain gate. And the last one that we looked at was the dung gate, and so these two connect, so that means that... Uh, once we deal with the dung in our life, and we eject it into the Kidron Valley, and we get rid of the garbage, there's another thing that God wants from us. This particular gate, the word fountain really means source, and that's the important thing here, the source of everything. Like I was talking about in Sunday school, how in Romans it talked about, but God be thanked. Why God be thanked? Because he's a source of everything. He's a source of your victory. He's a source of your blessing. He, you know, he's the one that needs to be thanked for everything. Um, the fountain is what, what, what the water issues forth from. And I should have thought of this. I should have brought you some pictures of, of, uh, of the fountain as I was there in Israel. And it's still flowing today. That, that same fountain is just continuing on. And so it's quite interesting. Um, this gate was near the king's garden, as we saw in our passage there. So the garden is always a place of fruitfulness, it's a place of beauty, it's something where something is being beautified. So from this source that we're we're getting here, there's something that ought to be produced from that, and it ought to be uh, profitable, ought to be beautiful, and ought to be something that when people look at, it, it pleases them. And I think that's a good picture of the Christian life as we take seriously the aspect of this fountain, this source of life from our God. And uh, there's also another thing that's very close to uh, this gate, and it's the Pool of Siloam, and you saw that there in the passage. The Pool of Siloam, the word Siloam means sent. So when Jesus sent the man, he remember what he did is he put the clay in his eyes, he mixed it with his spit, then he put it on his eyes because he was blind, and he says, go to the Pool of Siloam. That's quite interesting because when Jesus sent him, uh, he was about halfway up Jerusalem, and he sent him on a, on a trek down to the bottom. And so it's quite interesting. Here's a blind man. He's saying, I think, Jesus, you could just heal him. And, you know, he said, no, no, you go down to the pool of Siloam, which is interpreted sent. And so here we have a fountain that, is, that comes through in Jerusalem through this pool called Siloam, which means sent. And that pool is very important, actually, in, in Jerusalem and within the culture there, and with even some of the worship and the, uh, some of the rituals that they did, uh, the feasts and so forth, especially the Feast of the Tabernacles, which we'll look at on Wednesday nights. But uh, to go on here, just, just to give you a couple of thoughts before we get into some of the details of this, the Lord is our fountain of grace. Yeah. The Lord is our fountain of grace. So when we're thinking about fountain, what is God really giving us? What is he really giving you? What does he want to give you? Well, many times we go to Lord in prayer. We say, Lord, I need some money. I need a job. I need this. I need that. But most, most uh, often, that's not really what our prayer request should be. It should be more like, Lord, I need grace to be in a situation where I don't have a job today. Because, you know, if you're in that situation, the Lord probably put you there. And so I don't know if you just want me to jump into something else, but I know initially the first response is, Lord, I need the grace to be in this position. Uh, you know, I don't have a lot of money. And so, Lord, give me a source of funds, and, all the, and I'm praying for the source of funds, and instead of going to the Lord and saying, Lord, give me the grace I need to be poor for a while. Mm-hmm. See, really the prayer, like it says, that, that we can come boldly before the throne of grace, that we find help in a time of need. And so the, what's the help that we need, you know? And sure, he's concerned about your jobs, and you pray, and he'll get you a job, and all those things. I've seen that happen hundreds of times over my ministry experience, where people have prayed, and we prayed as a church, and God provided. I remember Mar many times, he, at, the, at the beginning there, he was praying for a job, and a couple of times, and each time we put it on the prayer list, didn't take a week or two, and then he got his job. And so that was the Lord's will but I think he already had a grasp of the grace that he needed in the meantime, you know. And so I think initially your first response to trials and trouble and suffering ought to be, Lord, give me the grace to handle this. You know, in the hospital I was thinking, Oh Lord, just get me out of here real quick. But maybe that's not what he wanted. You know, we went through, I went through several days there. where I was, I was knocked around. I was in three different rooms the whole time I was there because they were so busy and I, they kept pushing me around. And finally... The last room I was in was for the last two days that I was in hospital and I was already kind of ducking in and out, you know, going home on pass and so forth. And that was the reason I was there, you know, so Lord, get me out of here real quick. And God says, no, maybe I should say, Lord, give me the grace to understand what you're doing here. Give me, give me the ability to understand the opportunity and I was wondering, because many times i look around me and say, it doesn't seem like any door is opening for me to witness to anybody in this place. I tried with a nurse. She was a Buddhist. And, um, you know, it seemed like I, I gave her some scripture, but it just didn't open up. And I was okay, Lord, I, I mean, I can't force these things. And um, the last two days, all of a sudden I was in this room. The room was only designed for one bed so what they did is they turned his bed sideways and they just propped me beside we could have held hands if we wanted to you know but immediately it just the lord just opened up this relationship with me and him we just really got along really good and as the door opened up i was able to give him the gospel and explain you know what real salvation was And, and at first you could see there was a resistance but and I didn't care. I just like, well, well that's why I'm here, man. And I, I told him about this uh, this time I had uh, with this government inspector in Manitoba. I was in Bible college, and I was going through a real tough time. And, uh, but the Lord was still using me, and he was just beating me up and slapping me around and just preparing me for ministry, you know. And so I was on this job, and I already lost my temper once on the job, you know, because I was just wasn't quite uh, surrendered my heart to everything God wanted me to go through. But yet, uh, he, told, he put on my heart very clearly, you need to witness to this young inspector here. He was an inspector just at a university coming to the job site doing his practicum or whatever, and then I'll never see him again. And so I did. I went and witnessed to him, and I just said, hey, uh, the Lord just wanted me to tell you this. And that was very matter of fact, and I told him what I had to say. Well, he says, I, I just think you can believe what you want to believe. It doesn't really matter. And I says, hey, uh, I'm just supposed to tell you this. It's just it's up to you what you do with it. <laughs> Bad attitude, man. I don't think I got a crown in heaven on that one. But, you know, the next day he comes to me. I gave him a gospel tract. I went back to work. Next day he comes to me, he says, I did it. I says, what would you do? He says, I took that, that paper you gave me, I read through that, and then I prayed what it said on there. And I got saved, he said. Now, I can't claim credit for that one, <laughs> you know. But it was quite interesting when you see that that is just God, the, what, what he's trying to do in people's lives. And I was able to give him a, a, a Bible and so forth before, I, before we said goodbye and never saw him again. He just came up right up to my machine. He opened the door. He, said, he shook my hand. He says, thank you for showing me the way. Yeah. Yeah, wow. That's all God, man. That's all I could say. I really don't think maybe the Lord will give me something for that. I don't know. But all I know is I'm sure glad he got saved. But that's just the grace of God. That's what he does. He's the source of it all, you know. Uh, I would have never thought of that. But the Lord opens up those opportunities. So don't feel that, you know, you're missing everything. Like, folks, you can't preach the gospel to every creature that's around you. I mean, at some point, they're going to kick you out of the hospital, you know. What you got to do is pray that the Holy Spirit of God will open an opportunity. That's true soul winning. Now, I know we go door knocking and and we pray beforehand, but we want to meet new people. But those don't always open up for an opportunity for the gospel. And you're not going to force it because that doesn't work, you know. But what you do is you let the Lord show you exactly you know the the other week before i got this infection i got that fever that night that night we were able to leave two souls to christ and four doors before that i had three people shutting us down because they've been hurt by the catholic church and they said there's no way i'm ever thinking about that again and the last one i had a man just kicking me out and just saying hey i understand you want to give out your religion but don't be preaching at us and slam the door and vivian was with me and i said vivian how you feel about that she's pretty bad I said, I know that's the hard stuff about going door knocking. But that next door, they both got saved. You know, So you you get discouraged about this, that, or the other. You just got to keep going. You, You can't just quit because it's tough. I mean, my goodness. Look at Jesus. He's your example. I mean, he went down that Golgotha Road, and he carried that cross, and he never once quit. And he kept on. He could have called a legion of angels, and he didn't do that. And so that's got to become our example. We shouldn't quit on God. Uh, you know, when it comes to church, when it comes to your, your purpose in God's plan, no matter how hard it is, you just say, Lord, I'm just going to push through here. But I do need your grace. I need your grace. And you know what? His grace is sufficient. It truly is for your life. So whatever it is that you need to do or go through, He will help you through that. Jeremiah 17:3 it says... O Lord, the hope of Israel, all that forsake thee shall be ashamed. And they that depart from me shall be written in the earth, because they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living waters. He's the fountain. So how are you going to live if you don't have the fountain? He's a source, you know. And that's what Jeremiah is saying here. Psalm 46, 1 says, God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will, will we not fear? Though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, Selah, there is a river, the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. So there is a river. It's interesting in the new New Jerusalem at the end of the millennial reign, uh, when he comes down, there's going to be a river flowing out of the throne of God. Now, that river is very important. He is a source. He's trying to tell us that over and over and over again. And so there's this fountain that Jerusalem has there that's still running today. Uh, very interesting. It was fed with water from the river of Gion. It's called the, or the Virgin Springs. Uh, in Genesis 2.13, it mentions Gion. It says, and the, number of the the name of the second river is Gion, the same is it that competh this, the whole land of Ethiopia. So Gion simply means a valley of grace, the valley of grace. So here you have this fountain that is picturing God as our source that's bringing up water from underneath. It's not coming from the top, it's actually coming from underneath. And God is feeding his people constantly, making glad the city of God through that fountain, through that valley of grace. Uh, Hezekiah 2 Chronicles 32, verse 30, it says, This same Hezekiah also stopped the upper water course of Gion and brought it straight down to the west side of the city of David, and Hezekiah prospered in all his works. So this wasn't discovered, I think, until 1891, where there was a tunnel that that was built by Hezekiah, where it started up closer to the water gate up there and went all the way down to the fountain gate, and Oh, to the Pool of Siloam. And so what he did is he redirected the waters to actually go underneath Jerusalem. And then he hewed out of solid rock a channel that continued to feed the Pool of Siloam. And so that was a constant feed of water. So even though the enemies would come and encircle the city, they would always have water. So that's the picture that we have here. See, God is a fountain of grace, and there's no way the enemy can, can take that grace from you. Uh, you will always in your city have a, uh, a, fountain, a source of grace that no matter what you go through, no matter what trials, he'll always feed you from within. It's interesting, though, they say with the Pool of Siloam, it never, it never fed the same amount of water. There'd be times it would flow more, times it would flow less. And that's so true to the Christian life. There's times you really need it, like Oscar this week, his is just flowing. <laughs> just, you know, his fountain's just coming on in. But there's times in life where it's flowing, it's trickling in. And it's enough for, for what God wants you to do. And so it's interesting that you see all these pictures within the, the, uh, the city of, of Jerusalem, the city of peace. So this tunnel, what happened, they, they had two teams starting digging from both ends. And a man by the name of Conrad Schick discovered this canal in 1891. And so we were able, when we went to Jerusalem there, uh, we were able to actually go down in there and walk through those, those, uh, that tunnel. And there's two tunnels now. There's a the Canaanite tunnel, and that's one we walked through because the other one, was al- it was dark and it wasn't quite as safe to go through, the Hezekiah's tunnel. But uh, they didn't know that existed until 1891. And so the scriptures, once again, show themselves true, you know, that this is what God did. And so the pool of Siloam, in Isaiah 8, verse 6, is for as much as this people refuseth the waters of Shiloah, and that is what Siloah means, that go softly and rejoice in resident Romelia's son. And so they were refusing the waters. So that's what happens in the Christian life, where, God, I want you to just give me what I want here. You need to give me my money or give me my job, and if you don't do this for me, I'm, I don't know, I'm not going to church no more. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to follow you no more. There's many people that have made that decision. They refuse the waters. You know, and God just says, no, no, no. I know you what you're going through. I chose that for you. You don't need to be praying about whether you're going to quit or keep going. You need to be praying that the, that the grace, the water will continue to feed you from the source where you'll have the grace that you need to face the, the temptations in life. Amen. So that's really the picture of, of uh, the Pool of Siloam. In John nine verse seven, I was talking about the man that he washed, the, you know, his, his or he put clay in his eyes, and and I just I I remember I preached a message and then I asked the people. I think it was in Yellowknife. I don't know if Frank was there at that time. It was early, early on in the uh, uh, the two thousands there somewhere, and I think Levi was just a baby. He's the one that came with us. And uh, one of the questions I said, why would Jesus put mud in people's eyes? <laughs> you know, I mean mud. That's dirt. <laughs> you know. So here's a little dirt in your eyes. Why would he do that? Well, very simple, so that he'd wash it off. Yeah. So why does God put dirt in your life? <laughs> So you just go and wash it off. But you got to go to a specific place for that. And he, he directed that. He didn't just direct him to the next little pot that was sitting on the corner there. Go wash your eyes. He went to a very specific place. And he said, go to the Pool of Siloam. So this, this poor blind man had to find his way with, with mud all over his face and walk all the way down to the Pool of Siloam. It was so far south that, that even as they were excavating Jerusalem, they, they didn't find the Pool of Siloam until just recently. Uh, They thought it was somewhere else. And then it was through some type of uh, excavation. Some people had land that all of a sudden they realized, hey, there's a pool underneath here. And that whole pool, I think the the street coming from the Pool of Siloam was about 10 feet underneath the the existing street of Jerusalem. And so they excavated the street underneath just to show the difference of all the rubble from the destruction and the different things that they built. That's why in, in Jerusalem... Or in, in Israel, you'll always have cities built upon cities. That's a tell, it's a Tel Aviv. It's, uh, it's, it's talking about city built upon city. And so, so much destruction, so much history, so much change that I think they said there's something like 13 civilizations underneath this rubble, you know? And so, but they found it. And so, I was able to sit there at the pool of Siloam and look at this place where this blind man came and washed his eyes. You know, and they only had half of it dug out because some of it was private property. And they had a dug straight wall there about 10 feet high of dirt. I said, man, give the guys, give the property up, man, because you'll get that whole pool, you know, exposed. But that's the pool that Jesus sent this blind man. And so they'd be protected from the enemy. Um, the canal was totally covered in rocks so that even if the city was surrounded, uh, they would have a never ending supply of water. And it was this pool that was near the fountain gate. And, of course, the Feast of Tabernacles, they would use that water from the Pool of Siloam, and that's very telling as far as the meaning of the tabernacles. Of course, God coming for his final harvest, you know, and so forth. So it was the Pool of Siloam where golden vessels were filled during the Feast of the Tabernacles and poured out, signifying God's Spirit poured upon his people. Uh, Jesus Christ, on the eighth day of this particular feast, in the Feast of Tabernacles, um, which was a high Sabbath, cried out to the people of Jerusalem. In, Jer- in John seven thirty-seven, it says, In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the Scriptures hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this he spake of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive for the Holy Ghost was not yet given because that Jesus was not yet glorified. So he's speaking towards something that he needs them to understand for the future. And we know what happened on the day of Pentecost where the, where the Spirit of God came down and that we need that Spirit. And so the golden vessels, so they would scoop into that pool, they'd take those, the water out of that pool and they'd pour it into the streets picturing how that we are vessels of god and we ought to take that water that we get from the fountain from the source and distribute that through ourselves out of your belly shall flow uh you know the belly of man is simply a um is a picture that's why many times you they'll use the word belly which seems off in our context we would say heart or whatever they'd say belly you know but your belly is your appetite. It's your it's your desires. It's it's what you want. And the Bible says that if we truly go to that fountain of grace, through your desires, people will see God's spirit flow through. You know, like your spirit is the part of you that connects with God. Your belly is the part of you that connects with this world. That's that's what the world is has visible to them. They know your belly. They know what you want. They know your desires. And so many times Christians that say, I'm attached to God in my spirit, but when they look at you in your belly, they say, it doesn't seem like you're really concerned about this. You know, when in all reality, you're forsaking the living waters. Not saying you're not saved, your spirit is saved, but there's a disconnect in between with your soul, with your mind, with your heart, that it is not flowing the way it ought to. And I think that's what we're looking at here in relation to the, the fountain gate. We're looking at after you have pushed out of your life those things that are not pleasing to God. And as you obey Him and, and purge yourself from these things, the Spirit of God ought to fill you and you ought to be used by God for a great purpose. And our lives ought to be sold out to that. And I realize, you know, we all do things that we like to do. we got jobs we like to do. We enjoy these careers. We enjoy maybe the life that we have. But folks, you got to be careful because that life can take control of you. And the Bible says that you have to deny yourself and you have to lose your life for his sake and for the Gospels, it says, and then you will find it. You know? So don't get lost in the cares of the world and, the, and your, your desires. You know, Because people will look at you and say, you know, here you give so much attention towards what you want carnally in this world, yet you're passing by all the opportunities. Many people, that, you know, there's more people that should be here tonight to hear this message. What what has caught them? You know, what has taken their heart? And, and I know there's a process of growth, and I've been there too. And there will always be that, you know. But it, that doesn't mean we've got to stop talking about it. We have to remind people that there is a progress, a forward movement, a change uh, where your desires will constantly begin to change and to show forth way more of God's purpose for your life than, than when you started, you know. When I first started going to church, it was, I was still just making money and buying guitars and buying, you know what I mean? That's That was what I loved. I loved my guitars and I loved my equipment and things like that. That was my heart, you know, but as God did a work in my heart. All of a sudden, all that stuff was, began to be shed to the wayside. I brought it through the the dung gate. I remember the day I took all the CDs and I put them in a bag and jumped on them and threw them out. And you know, I had a lot of equipment. I just sold it all. You know, I hung up my guitars and all that. And I said, I'm not going to make that my my focus anymore. I still have a guitar. I don't play it very often. I don't think I'm very good anymore. I've lost most of what I what I used to do. And so uh that's not important you know i want god to work through my life and if he wants me to use my guitar i would but i don't think that he wants me to because it would distract me and there was too much that i gave to it in the other in the other world amen and so we got to understand that there's no life truly apart from the lord you know in ourselves we have death we have depravity we have hopelessness the fountain gate pictures the source of our life and the purpose of our life in christ It speaks of the power that should issue forth from the believer in Christ through the working of God. And it's interesting because when Nehemiah first scoped out the city walls when he wanted to rebuild the walls themselves, in Nehemiah 2.14 says, Then I went on to the gate of the fountain and to the king's pool, but there was no place for the beast that was under me to pass. So there was no testimony of the Lord. There was no purpose being played out in jerusalem there is nothing that god was doing in that moment to show himself strong to the world and so that's why when they started to build they started the sheep gate they started working around the walls and they got to the fountain gate they started cleaning out the rubble and the rubbish so that we could once again use that that fountain gate so we have to ask ourselves you know are we are we accessing that fountain Are we getting the source of that life in ourselves? Is he our life? The Bible says in Colossians 3, Christ who is our life. And our life is hid in Christ in God. And so really we have nothing of ourselves. And I think we'll be very ashamed as much as we enjoy what we're doing. I think when we see Jesus, we'll be very ashamed of how much time we gave ourselves. And we didn't deny ourselves the way we ought to. And I understand jobs can be very demanding. And I'm not saying you'll quit your job or whatever, you know. What I'm saying is there's a heart attitude. There's a, that's where it all starts, you know. And so you've got to become honest with yourself about, about uh, what the world is demanding.